Welcome back to Common Sense Fantasy Baseball. I'm Drew, and the season is over. And I just wanted to do a wrap-up podcast for 2019 with some lessons learned. I actually tweeted out my finishes in several leagues. I was pretty pleased overall. I got several first-place finishes, especially in my draft champions leagues where you draft and just hold your team. You draft 50 players, 50 50 rounds, and then there are no pickups or waivers or trades or anything throughout the year. So I decided sort of my takeaway from that was that, you know, I'm pretty good at drafting, but I need some work on everything else. So I wanted to sort of tailor this to my, my main event where I came in fifth out of 15 teams in my league, which is respectable, but obviously I had some some things that I could learn and take away from it. Um, of course, this is five by five standard roto league, and um, if you want to sort of know more about the main event, you can check out my I think it was episode number two when I sort of introduced that. Maybe um, a couple of my first few episodes have to do with that, or you can just search for NFBC main event and read all about it. But um, looking back on that league, especially, and I think I think these lessons can mostly go for any kind of 15-team league, my uh, strategy coming in was to bully hitting, to do to get hitters early and often in, in as many rounds as I could before taking a pitcher. And uh, I think the number one lesson I took away from the fact that this sort of made things hard for me was that I was sort of taking upside pitchers later and um, figuring that, you know, that would work out. And if I couldn't make it work with those pitchers, if their upside didn't come through, there would be other pitchers to, to pick up. And I tragically overestimated the, uh, the amount of pitchers that would be available and I, and I underestimated the uh, importance of volume. So my number one lesson from this season is for pitching, you, ha- you need to go for volume, maybe even over upside. So I got Caleb Smith and Mike Miner in the 21st and 23rd rounds, and they were far from perfect, but they did a lot more for my team than some of these upside guys that were going in rounds, you know, even five, six, seven through the mid-teens. So I'm thinking of Nick Pavetta, um, Brad Peacock, Colin McHugh, Josh James, a lot of Astros pitchers that we were hoping for, uh, Corbin Burns, who I drafted, Freddie Peralta, who I drafted. Um, The guys that, A, we don't know if they're going to have a job or keep their job, or B have have sprung up recently, like Nick Pavetta, like Nick Nick Pavetta in 2018, uh, and we don't know who they're going to be. It's it's really um, not a good value proposition to take these pitchers in those earlier rounds, when you can take someone later who you know may not have the great Caleb Smith or Mike Miner seasons that we saw, and, and they didn't end up, especially Caleb Smith was not that great, but better than expected probably. Um, you know, after round 20, so we're talking after pick 300, you can get guys like that. So, you know, even also around that area, there, there were several other pitchers that worked out, and of course there were plenty that didn't. But at that point, you're just not 
paying for it. And so you can afford to take those stabs later on. Um, and if they don't work out, then you go and try to find a pitcher um, with upside somewhere else. But the, the key that I missed out on was that you gotta get some volume to complement this upside strategy. So more about that later. Lesson number two, which is kind of related to the first, is that there are some things you can pick up on uh, the waivers through, through your FAB budget, and there's other things you cannot. So, you know, hitting, I thought, would be, would be difficult because it's hard to, you know, pick up an everyday player. I don't know that that's really the case. I think you can pick up the, the categories you need. You can get, you can just sort of try to pick up hot bats and get... You know, your runs in RBI and even some home runs. Stolen bases are hard, but not impossible. Um, batting average is probably going to be tough, but there are even a couple of random guys that, that sprung up to help with that. So I didn't really have to get any of those guys because my hitting was so strong. And I think I sort of paid the price because what I needed to pick up on waivers was a lot harder. So some things that you can't pick up, ERA and WHIP. There, there's just no way you can improve this through streaming pitchers. Now, if you happen to hit on that one uh, diamond in the rough out there, uh, I'll, I'll use Lucas Giolito as an example from this year, then absolutely, you know, you've really struck gold. And there might have been one or two other pitchers all year that if you happen to pick them up at the right time when you were able to, uh, you could really hurt. You could really help your ERA and WHIP, but streaming there, you know, streaming is actually more of a ERA and WHIP death spiral in a in a weekly format like this because you you don't have enough control to isolate good starts and um, you know avoid blowups and maybe make last minute changes. You have to set that thing on uh, Monday morning and and then. You know, if somebody's supposed to start Wednesday against the Marlins and they end up starting Thursday against the Dodgers, then you're just out of luck. So um, so that's, that's ERA and WHIP. Another thing that you cannot pick up on waivers is strikeouts. There's just no way because the players you're picking up, you know, may on a good day get five or six strikeouts and go six innings. But you are never going to make up for the pitchers you did not take, which I was not taking pitchers in the first few rounds, who on a good day will go seven innings and get nine or 10 strikeouts, and on a great day will get 15 strikeouts. That just adds up over the course of a season, and you will not be able to replicate that from any pitcher you are streaming. Uh, You probably cannot uh, pick up wins, uh, as many wins as you need to through streaming, because again, these pitchers are not going to go... Uh, far enough into games. So you have a lot of people coming out, a lot of guys come out after four innings, you know, or, you know, four innings and two strikeouts or, or two outs in the fifth inning and then they come out and you, you can't even pick up the win. Um, or they'll go six innings, but they'll give up three or four runs and they're not, you know, either their team just loses or, you know, at least that they, they get a no decision. So these things are just really difficult to pick up on waivers. The only pitching category that you really can pick up is saves, um, which I was definitely able to do and actually became competitive in that category even after losing Hunter Strickland, who was the first 
closer that I actually drafted. So just sort of taking all of this together, to me, the obvious implication with saves is, you know, don't pay for saves too early. I'd, I'd say probably not even before around nine or 10. Um, and even then, you know, it should be somebody with a great strikeout rate and a certain job. And really a couple rounds later is better. But, but, the, but the takeaway from all of this is you can pick up some things on waivers. You can pick up closers. So, so you stay away from, you know, paying too much for that. You can, you can pick up um, some hitting categories if you're just a little light in those. You can't make up your home runs and uh, stolen bases just from the waiver wire, but you can um, add a few in the categories you need to compete. But what you cannot do, you just absolutely can't find it on waivers, is uh, make up for having starting pitchers that are really going to get that volume for you that I was talking about in lesson number one. So both of these first two lessons kind of lead to lesson number three, which is I needed more balance, sort of. Um, so my, my new and improved plan is to still bully hitting but to employ kind of a barbell strategy with pitching. And I sort of talked about this with Toby on the last episode. It was actually his idea. I have to give him credit for this because he mentioned that he's, what he's going to be trying to do next year is, is start, uh, is, is to pick two pitchers, two true aces in rounds one, two, or three, and then wait until the teens rounds to take any more pitchers, including closers. And I think that's the right strategy for a number of reasons. Um, but the main thing is that these first few rounds, these first, um, you know, maybe 10, top 10 overall starting pitchers are really the only guys you can count on year in, year out to get you a good ERA, a good whip, a good number of wins, and a good number of strikeouts. So there's really no replacement for that later. And... By taking these guys early, you're not waiting for the round seven guys who may turn into a Nick Pavetta from this year. Now, they may turn into a uh, Shane Bieber from this year, but we just don't really know. And so it's, it's, to me, it's worth going early for these guys that have done it year in and year out. So, again, so sort of the overall takeaway for me is that I was, I was right to bully hitting. I just did it a little too much, and I didn't. Um, taking these nuances with um, with pitching. In fact, I was uh, just straight up wrong about the fact that you know it's easy to get replacement pitchers, or easier than it is to get replacement hitters. It's probably the opposite. Um, you know, starting pitchers there there just were not that many of them, and I missed them. <laughs> and then streaming, as I said, just just doesn't work. I was right, I think, last year about the fact that there are plenty of good pitchers after pick 300. So that's definitely worth, you know, taking some stabs there for upside. And I think I was also right that there, you know, there's no five category pitchers, but there are five category hitters. So you have to take those hitters early. And so it's important to spend a lot of those early rounds doing that. I, I think I just took it a little too far. And so what actually happened was my hitting ended up being stronger than it needed to be. In, in the main event, I was either first or second in all the hitting categories for most of the year, except for stolen bases. And then eventually I even caught up on, on, in that one and competed. I think I actually finished second in stolen bases. 
And so, and that's without picking up any or, or very many hitters at all. I think I got Hunter Dozier earlier, which helped a lot um, until he was out for a while. And, you know, maybe like Lurie Garcia helped with a few stolen bases, but there were no major early hitter wins that I just, I, I picked up a guy in April and he just, uh, you know, changed my season. Um, and so obviously that's good. You don't, you don't want to have to count on finding that. But um, my hitting was at the top of the heap without even, you know, utilizing any of my fab and picking up hitters off waivers. So I think that could be a little bit more balanced. Still want it to be very strong, but maybe, you know, I, I gave myself a little more margin than I needed. Um, and then, of course, pitching was more of an uphill battle than it needed to be on the flip side. So let me know what you think about this idea of a little bit of more balance, but with pitching being barbelled, as I was talking about. And um, enjoy the postseason. I am going to be going to first pitch Arizona next week, which I'm very excited about that uh, baseball, baseball HQ uh, puts on in Arizona. Uh, we get to see the Fall Stars game and have some nerdy fantasy uh, analysis. Uh, and we're even going to do an early draft, uh, draft Champions League. So that'll be a lot of fun. Um, but again, thanks for listening. And as always, stay classy, Planet Baseball.